get excited for this week's episode of the Hustle Today podcast because we have Ty Glover on this week. He is an innovator and has a unique method of real estate investment. You're going to get a lot of value out of this. Let's jump into it. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Hustle Today podcast. My name is Trent. I am so excited to be talking with Ty Glover today. Awesome individual. We've been talking a little bit before we started recording, and we've got a lot of uh, shared circumstances that I think a lot of people will be able to relate to. So, Ty, why don't you jump in here and tell us a little bit about yourself? Good afternoon. Thank you, Trent, for uh, for welcoming me on the show. It's um, mine has been a long journey over the last X number of years. You know, I just recently went through a divorce, so that kind of and you'll you'll understand that a little bit more later on. But that's kind of the impetus behind the new innovation that I created. But background wise, I'm a father of two girls. I have an MBA from Temple University, international business, so it allowed me an opportunity to be able to do a lot of travel with respect to my jobs. Um, but I'm also a serial innovator, and so uh, that's something that that I can't stop and I can't break out of. And when it comes to side hustles, I'm never able to follow the traditional side hustle of of X, Y, and Z. Maybe starting, uh, I don't know, selling a product or whatever. I always have to do something big, which can be very. It decreases your odds of success. <laughs> <laughs> So it's it's important to be able to recognize what kind of a um, hustler you are, and so you know we can talk about that as well. But I'm looking forward to the conversation. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I like that you understand that you are an innovator. You don't have to resonate with the traditional side hustle because a very important aspect of being an entrepreneur is knowing your strengths, knowing your uh, knowing your competitive advantage, uh, which we'll talk about. Uh, and you obviously recognize that you understand it's not going to be the same way. It won't work the same way as it does for other people, but you know, that's what drives you. That's what your passion is. Yeah. It's important for a person um, who's going to go into business to understand pretty much why am I going into business? Is it to get away from a job or is it to go to something else? You know, um, Getting away from a job is, you know, you start a side hustle and you, you recognize that there's an opportunity to be able to make some money because I'm not sure about the security of the one that I have and so forth. But when you're running to something else, you know, for me, again, you know, my parents, my father is an entrepreneur was, um, for me, I think I was doing a paper route since I was like 12 years old. Uh, my family was in trucking. So when by the time I think I was 19 years old, I was driving. But I was also, this was during, and I think, Trent, you may be too young to remember this space, <laughs> when every car on the road seemed like they had a, a bra on the front of those cars. Oh, yeah. No. And I was designing truck bras because I was driving trucks, and I wanted to be able to have a fashionable truck bra um, that had colors and so forth. And But I also started designing and working through ways to be able to create um, – ergonomically designed gear shifts for the trucks and so forth. These are all trucks with 13, 15 speed. You're always constantly moving your hands. Mm -hmm. And it hurt to be working with a, a plastic ball and squeezing it all day for 10, 12 hours a day, six, seven days a week. So, you know, that was just the way my mind always has worked. Whenever I see an issue, I try to think about, well, how would I correct that issue? And then is there money in that issue if a correction can be provided? And so it's been, it's been fun. Mm -hmm. you, know, <laughs> you follow a lot of roads, but um, yeah, I've enjoyed it. 
that's my competitive advantage. Yeah, I think uh, that you were onto something though with the the bras for the trucks because, I mean, I've driven you know motorhomes and whatnot, and trying to clean those afterwards is is quite the process. <laughs> and you've got so much frontal area on a on a truck that it's it makes sense. I understand where you're going with that, and they did kind of fall out of fashion, but I mean, it makes it makes perfect sense to to think that way. And, uh, you know, a lot of those truckers take great pride in their trucks and they want them to be clean. So it's just the numbers weren't there to sustain it, to support it. You know, most, uh, most companies were, um, most companies, they weren't owner operators. And mm-hmm. so, you know, but I walked through the process. The most important thing for me about even being an innovator, and I say the word innovator, um, and it's not a vanity thing or anything else. What I do and all that I do is that I take a series of ideas and I connect them together with a series of processes to create what I believe could be impactful results. So that's how I define it. So it's not something that it's a banner that, uh, that really uh, I'm like, I, I want to hold. People have certain things that they're good at. That's what I'm good at. Um, yeah. But when it came to like recognizing the numbers on the trucks, there weren't enough numbers to support it. But the biggest thing that I really enjoy is the process that I walk through of thinking what if and well how much could it be because it's an exercise where you're I think I heard one of your podcasts you talked about luminosity um, this is a process whereby you're exercising your brain and considering possibilities I may even you know look at something and I'm observing it and I may even go and do something on Google and and check out just throwing out a, a teaser or two um, and then I'll put it in my Excel spreadsheet for an item or a product that I may work on later on in life but mm-hmm just the process that I walk through that helps me to continually work my brain because that's, that's my skill or that's my greatest gift. It's just like people are working their muscles. Athletes are working certain things. I work that in that way. Yeah. And I think I totally agree with you on the, the innovator title. Uh, just when we were talking before we started recording, I mean, you showed me some products you've been working on talking about that. It's like you, you are an innovator. That's just the way you think it's not, it's not a vanity thing at all. I believe that truly is the way that you think. Yes, correct. It, it, and it definitely is. And it, it's just, it's what I like. It's what I'm good at. Mm-hmm. You know, now, that doesn't necessarily mean the idea is going to turn into a, yeah, I think about um, Steve Jobs and everyone sees him as that, that um, typical or that atypical uh, innovator where people are going to him and asking, you know, why are you an innovator? Where do you get these ideas? Teach me how. And he kind of scoffs at him like, you can't teach that. And it's kind of like, it's true, you, you become that through your experiences because all an innovator is, is, you know, he, for example, goes over to China and he visits there, I think it was possibly China, where he goes and he sees the rice cookers are all sitting on the tables and they're all connected with magnetic connections to be able to, so that they break away easily if someone walks past. He comes back, he incorporates that into his uh, computers. Or yeah. with taking a class in calligraphy, he incorporates fonts and creates concept for fonts. It's just, it's really not rocket science. If you think about it, he uses experience and incorporate that, those experiences into his designs. So. Absolutely. But it's like you said, it's not really teachable in a way. It's, it's just more or less how you're wired. Um, Yeah. There's, there's probably some specific aspects you could teach, but just that's the way you're wired. Exactly. And, you know, I think you mentioned, uh, you know, competitive advantage, which we're going to talk about a little bit later on, but everybody's got one of those things. Mine may be 
looking at things in that way. But I mean, look at, for example, Magic Johnson. Everybody referred to him as being a, a person who had tremendous court vision, which means that he had the ability to be able to see everything that was happening and know where everyone was going to be in the future so he could handle the ball and pass the ball and shoot. He was very tall, too, six, what, I think six nine. So those were his competitive advantages that he had to really work to make sure to, I don't want to say perfect, but continually work those advantages to make sure that they were going to take him to the tops of where he wanted to be. That's just his process. We, we all have them again. Yeah, absolutely. So who would you say has been most influential on you as a person today to kind of help craft that, uh, that innovative lifestyle that you have? You know, I, I think, um, that style and that that ideology uh, came from probably Bill Gates. You know, um, I am first of all he's incredibly gifted, so you can't take that away from him. I mean, look at his parents. His parents were well educated. They had the financial influence or a means to be able to support him. They had the ability to be able to to take him away to camps, and and they had the network within their their group to be able to have him go and visit with other families and do stand and deliver speeches in front of the table. He learned truly uh, in the best possible environment that he was in. Uh, but in addition to that, the man could process information that he was receiving, whether he was reading it, being able to read, you know, he reads upward in the years like 50 books a year, large textbooks, mm-hmm. not uh, Nancy Drew, you know. <laughs> and he retains, someone's mentioned in the area of 90% of what he reads, he retains. Can you imagine what's possible when you everything you grab, you retain 90% of it? Can you imagine the connective ability someone would have to be able to put things together? And this guy, thank goodness, he's turned for the greater benefit of man as opposed to just generating product. And that's, you know, I, I admire that. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, he's a great, <clears throat> a great uh, individual to look up to. And But if you think about, you know, you mentioned that he had all these privileges more or less that uh, uh you know great opportunities but think of all the people that have those opportunities that do nothing with it yeah, true. true so uh, it, he did definitely do something with those advantages rather than just squandered them right and that probably came a lot from the guidance that he was receiving from his parents uh, you know obviously um and i think about it my uh, my wife is uh is dominican and so we talk about she's a recent immigrant here to this country. And we talk about the fact that I'm sure you're familiar with um, with uh, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, Maslow's mm-hmm. hierarchy of needs, where there's different levels of elevation that you have to go through. And you can't go to the next one, such as the first one would be uh, fear from harm. You can't move to the next level two if, in fact, you're afraid that you're going to die at any second. Once you are not afraid, then you can go to level two, which may be, I think it was food and water. You know, cover that off need. And the next level would be um, shelter, having a, a house over your head. You can't go from the first to the third until you have the first and the second covered. Um, and what was interesting about conversations with her was going from, I think it was the fourth to the fifth, Fourth was esteem, where you're able to be, um, what's the word for it? You're able to feel good and respect for yourself and respect for others. You feel good about the place that you're in. Mm -hmm. But what was interesting is that for most Dominicans and even people across the West Indians and around the world, they can't move to level five, which is self-actualization, 
uh, manifesting your own destiny, determining where you want to be and creating your own path because they can't get past four, esteem. They don't have the ability to ever leave that country. Most of them don't. You know, they're, they're stuck in a place. And so they can't move where they can manifest their own destiny. And so we thought that that was amazing, the fact that they were stuck in such a position and don't have that opportunity. You had mentioned Bill Gates, and or I had mentioned Bill Gates. You mentioned how many people have those abilities and were not able to really actualize or take advantage of them. And I'm talking about how many people have the ability still, but yet don't have the opportunity to be able to move to the next levels in their lives. And therefore, what are we missing out from the standpoint of the world? Because we can't get these innovators or these people with these great ideas to come and join the world community. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, you've got the abilities, you've got the talent, you've got the mindset, when when was it that you decide I've got to be able to do something for myself for that first time where you decide, decide you know, I've got to, I've got to strike out on my own. Yeah. You know, again, going back to the truck bras and the innovation back then, I, I think I was telling you or earlier on, I was never really wired to go and work the regular nine to five. Um, I do it. Um, I went from early on in my, my life, had an experience whereby I was, um, how did that work out? I remember being told my IQ and I remember not really caring about it because I was like nine or 10 years old, but recognizing the fact that a, it was low. It was in the area of like 90 and B um, it's supposed to be important because he mentioned it to me and that became hardwired in my brain from the standpoint of what I was going to be able to accomplish from an intellectual standpoint. Um, I know it was one of those things that was holding me down like a weight. And I remember, um, you know, on the other side of it, I remember working and I was fortunate enough to be able to get the MBA and to be able to work for Fortune 500 companies and do well, and even some consulting firms, Big Five. But I always was worried that they're going to find out that I wasn't as smart as those other people. And I was always worried that they were going to discover I was a fake. And so I always continually worked my way out of jobs the day I got in the job. And I say that from the standpoint of while I was doing the work, I was always creating my own business. I was always developing my own innovation, putting my energy into that because that's really what I wanted from life. So maybe I was doing it to escape that nine to five, but I also was doing it because I wanted to create concepts. That's, I couldn't stop it. You know, I wish I could stop it, but I couldn't stop always continually developing ideas. And I remember flying back from Europe on some business trips where I'm sitting on the plane working nonstop on my own creations because that's just the way I was wired to be. Yeah. A lot of entrepreneurs are, are wired that way. They, they don't want to be stuck with that nine to five and they want their ideas to come out. But I've found through interviewing so many entrepreneurs that's usually they want to create an impact and you can't do that in a typical nine to five. There are some places obviously you can, but uh, in most places you can't create that impact that you want. And so that's where entrepreneurship comes in. Yeah. And I think to that point, you know, especially working with the, um, the methodology driven consulting companies, the, the, well, back in the day, the, Author Andersons, the Accentures, and so forth of today, 
um, there's a method in the way they work. There, there, there's a process that they follow. And for me, I wasn't really good at a number of the different things that I was being asked to do. I just, perhaps it was because I wasn't interested in doing it. And perhaps it just, it took more time for me to do those things because my brain is wired differently. So mm -hmm. I, I recognize the fact that I am not just a standard run-of-the-mill person, not saying positive or negative. I'm just, I'm different. And I started to recognize my differences and I started to recognize the fact that my differences aren't aligned with the type of jobs that I keep finding. Um, and I have to find something different. So that was really allowed me to start getting much more confidence in myself. You know, it's, it's really interesting because I remember the day also that um, I was in a scenario where a fortune teller told me that I would never be wealthy, but I would never be poor. Huh. And it was June 17th, 1994. <laughs> and I remember it because I was in Philadelphia on a date and I took this young lady to this place. And it was the same day that OJ Simpson was driving the white Bronco <laughs> watching him on TV. And she told she said that to me from a fortune teller standpoint, and it became hardwired into my brain as to what was possible. So every venture that I got into, everything that I was charged to develop and so forth, I always had these two voices, A, you're not smart enough, and B, you'll never be rich in my mind. And I think to a certain extent, I'm greatly over that, but I still hear those whispers when you come across failures that we all come across. I still hear those things. I'm just a lot better at compartmentalizing them now, recognizing where they're coming for and moving on. Yeah, absolutely. I can relate to that entirely. Um, so my parents were entrepreneurs and, you know, they had a great mind for that thing for, you know, creating businesses. But if I came to them with an idea that I was super excited about and they didn't understand it, you know, you know there's a generation gap there or, you know, a, uh, an age gap rather, uh, they'd immediately shut down the idea and instantly it's like, oh, well, they're, they're smart. They know business. It's a bad idea. Uh, but really it's just, they don't understand the idea in the same way. And it's taken me a lot of time to realize some of those ideas I had previous. It's like, oh, that probably would have been a smart idea, but they just didn't fully grasp it. But I can totally relate to you hear one thing and it brands you more or less. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, it's interesting that you mentioned that. I, I've told my daughters about competitive advantages and understanding their competitive advantages, not really recognizing the fact that they haven't had any experiences yet. So they probably they're developing them, but right. they probably can't recognize that competitive advantage. But I... In telling them that, I started to understand the fact that um, it's all about communication and how do you present it. And if you think about it, when I talk, I'm actually taking, I'm having to figure out what I'm going to say first. And it's mm -hmm. happening just like that. I'm taking what I'm going to say and I'm having to convert it into words. I'm having to, and that's called encoding. I convert those words into an expression, the way I'm going to say it, the tone, intonation. And then I communicate it. You hear it, you decode it, and you have to understand. Uh, I'm hoping that you understand my background, my use of the words, and why I selected the words that I selected, and that you can digest it and understand it in the way I meant for you to understand it, for you to package that back up and say it right back to me. That's a, that's a pretty complex process that we're following. And so when it came time for me to start talking to my daughters about that again, 
I finally said to him, you know what, with competitive advantages, I'm going to push that aside for a little bit until more information comes in, until I receive the inputs that are necessary to help me to build it so it's stronger. So the next time I pitch it as a concept or as an idea, you'll understand it. Because that's my fault if you're not understanding what I'm saying to you. Yeah, absolutely. But it's it's funny how you broke that down. It makes conversations sound uh, pretty complex. <laughs> Very, much, very much so. Let alone, I mean, again, my wife is Dominican. First language is English. She only started learning English. Uh, first language is Spanish. She only started learning English um, when we started talking. And so can you imagine adding language translation, right. let alone cultural differences to the complexity of communications? It's difficult. Yeah, that can definitely be difficult. Uh, but it's good that you understand that it can be a complex process and you're not pushing it too much on your daughters now. I've got two daughters and now a son. Uh, and, you know, I try and instill certain things in them. And sometimes it's like banging your head against a brick wall. But you've, you've got to understand that it, it's complex concepts when my oldest is seven years old. So. Right. Yeah. And my daughter said to me, my youngest said, I don't seem like I'm listening. I know I don't, but I'm listening. <laughs> that made me feel good. You know, yeah. <laughs> you're, listening, you're taking in some of this, you're trying to process it. And eventually you may get it. I mean, that's our jobs. We're trying to impart and we're trying to help them to understand because we won't always be here. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. You want to take what you learn and pass it on to others and, you know, they'll, they'll take it as the way they want to, but, uh, you know, it's, it's good to at least impart that wisdom. Otherwise, you know, why are you gaining that wisdom? Yeah. You know, it's interesting that I, that back in the day, um, I created a, I started working on a business and it was amazing because, um, it was a concept or a business whereby I just had a new child and, I was worried about what can I say to her for the future and what if I'm not there? So I started working on a business whereby it allows a person to be able to create messages. You're writing them down and so forth. You're, you're putting them into a, basically you're loading them into our website. We're storing those messages and then we're doing hard copy letters that we're sending out to that person in the future. We will locate them with some key information, but we can even send out products. For example, if you want to pay for roses for your daughter to receive, 25 years from now on her 25th birthday, then you can do that. You buy them and then they're going to be sent out to her. But so that was that whole part about being able to send a message forward to a loved one to communicate what your, your hopes and dreams and desires are. And I mentioned that because we had actually a lot of success with that from the standpoint of um, messaging to insurance companies and so forth. We, We were able to speak in front of, um, the Hartford about the idea, incorporating it there. But I remember the most impactful conversation we had was in September of 2008 or October, I think it might've been where we met with Lincoln financial, the chief strategy officer there, or I forget his title. I remember it because it was the same day that Shearson Lehman brothers folded. Hmm. And so it was, we didn't recognize the fact that there was nothing that was going to happen <laughs> being so out there uh, after that. But at least we were able to sit down and have those conversations and recognize, get some validation for what we were trying to do. Yeah, absolutely. You keep moving. You keep pushing forward. Yeah, for sure. So you've, you've been an innovator. You've talked about, you know, a little bit of some of these things that you've always been working on and working your way out of a job. 
what would you say has been your biggest failure in that and what have you learned from it? You know, it's, that's a really good question. It's, um, I, I think that my biggest failure probably came after just after the start of the divorce. And I think I mentioned to you before it was a, it was a level five divorce. I mean, it was like hundreds of thousands of dollars in, in legal fees and, and uh, mental illness was involved in a whole lot mm. of different things. And if a system was ever designed to truly take advantage of you when you're down, it's that whole process of a divorce. Because when they see you, they see you coming and they know how much they can get from you. Um, but that was kind of really where things started to fall apart for me. And also, uh, you know, so that was my, I was trying to minimize my exposure to risk during that time because everything was falling apart. I'm having to pay all this money to, to lawyers and so forth. And while I was going through such a traumatic time in my life, um, I didn't make the right decisions financially and so forth because I was dealing with trauma um, mm -hmm. from accusations and everything else. My world had collapsed. I was out yeah. of the house and everything else. But it wasn't until I started to recognize the opportunities with respect to, um, to you know, I had mentioned to you InvestOut. And what InvestOut does as a business is we work to partner homeowners who know that their homes could sell for more if they were renovated. We work to partner them with investors who, just like flippers, they go in there, they use their own capital, they add that value, they increase it. Once that home sells by that homeowner, then that investor gets their money back plus a share of that increased value. Mm -hmm. um, that came out of my house and a potential need to sell mine and recognizing the fact that um, everybody else was making money off of my house when, in fact, I was the one that really needed to make that money. And I was being offered nothing for it from the stand, standpoint of the sale because it needed a lot of work. Um, so I, I think I started to really maximize opportunities there and I moved away from the minimization part of the risk. But you had asked what was the greatest, my greatest failures. It was probably the way I emotionally handled the trauma that I was experiencing through the divorce. Um, you know, I was pretty much rudderless and I'm, I'm surprised that I even survived through the process as bad as it was for me, but that was probably the worst part of it. Yeah. Well, I think that's something that nobody can really train you for is going through that situation. And so it's, you know, you have to deal with it the way you can deal with it. Um, because it's, it's not something that you can just be like, Oh, this is how it's going to go. You just don't know until you're in it. To, to me, I kind of relate that a little bit to, uh, um, having a child, I mean, you can read books about it, you can, uh, watch shows about it and whatnot, but once you're in it, it's, it's completely different to me. Yeah. It's so true, you know, and I think that was, I'm only coming out of it now. Um, it's been a 10 year process hmm. you know, and I'm still dealing with the financial aspects of it, but you know, I'm able to come out of it and I really, it wasn't even necessarily just about minimizing the, the, the impact but I think that any scenario you get into is an experience and any yeah. experience you can gain from it, you can learn from it. If you are able to step away from it and look back at it, you know, and even as you're going through it, able to retain some type of a stability, be able to understand what's happening around you and what's happening to you. So, you know, uh, that's why I've always kind of worked it. You have to minimize the risk of exposure. You know, you had asked about the jobs and, um, I, I'd been fired from multiple jobs, you know, a lot of it I was 
working my way out of. I was working to get fired for different reasons, um, uh, possibly because I felt, you know, they say burn your ships. And I have been amazingly good at rebuilding ships. Hmm. You know, I seem, I mean, both Caesar as well as Cortez burned ships when they reached their, their target opportunity. And I burned a number of ships, but I'm also, I can't help but to be assembling a little fleet in the background, <laughs> just in case. So, you know, I've had some highs, I've had some lows, but, um, you know, I've been able to keep moving, you know, with enthusiasm. That's good. And I like that you took that opportunity, uh, or I guess took that situation and made it an opportunity. Like you said, you founded uh, Invest Out, and, you know, it's still a platform you're developing, but... I think it's a fantastic opportunity and it makes a lot of sense. So I, you know, my day job is flipping houses, but uh, looking at it the way you are approaching it, I think is fantastic for the people investing in the real estate. Fantastic for the people that are, uh, you know, selling their homes and then, you know, you minimize their risk, but then, you also mentioned a community aspect too, and uh, you know, kind of building that up. So, can you speak to that a little bit more? Yeah, definitely. I, I come from a background of sustainability. Um, I, I'm on the board, or I was on two boards. Um, one for a company called Untours, and what this company does and did—they were the precursor, the forerunner to Airbnb. Hmm. They started out back in the '70s, and this gentleman named Hal Tusig, who's who's passed, um, would go out to Europe certain parts of Switzerland and so forth and would rent out homes. And then he'd come back here and he'd give people an opportunity to have these, the opportunity to experience the untour version of life in that country. So they'd go to Switzerland, they'd live in the house, they'd live in the community and the community would really take them in and to help them to understand life there. And that's been operating for since the seventies, but money was coming out of that going directly into a nonprofit organization that the same gentleman had developed, whereby all the money in the nonprofit was going to micro loans for gotcha. small businesses in, in Africa and Europe and different parts of the world to help people to move away from needing money, you know, teaching them how to fish as opposed to just giving them the money. So this gentleman right. was a, um, was again, a maverick in the space. I mean, he's received awards from, um, Everyone from the Paul Newman Foundation to uh, to John F. Kennedy Jr. was one. As a matter of fact, I took him down to an event in Philadelphia. It was a sustain social social network sustainability something network possibly, where um, the gentleman I think it was Ben Cohen from Ben and Jerry's Ice Cream hmm. was sitting at the front, and they were having a panel discussion. And we're walking in late, and here I am walking with this gentleman who must have been in his 80s or 90s at that point, very leaned over, and we're walking in. And it was interesting because as we're walking in, everything got quiet. And even people on stage start talking. And then they started recognizing and honoring this gentleman as we're walking over to the table. Everyone's <laughs> applauding for him. And I'm like, this, this gentleman's, you know, Ben and Jerry's ice cream is up there applauding him. And so it was amazing to be in this guy's aura. He was such a, a force for um, sustainable businesses and helping not necessarily just extracting that, that pound of dollar, but helping the businesses or the people that he engaged in. So 
Um, Invest Out is a triple bottom line company, and the goal again is helping homeowners make more money, uh, especially in these days and times where the average Social Security check may be in the area of fourteen hundred dollars a month, and the average pension is I think it was like three thousand in total. So parse that out over a course of a year, and then the lack of a four hundred one k for most people, we're in a difficult situation that we haven't really started talking about as a nation. And our home is our greatest asset from the standpoint of that that wealth sink. That's where all of our money typically lies. And so we want to be able to help homeowners make more money when they sell their classes. And at the same time, um, as an investor, investors want to flip more properties. Typically, you want to scale a business when it comes to investing, but it takes a lot of money to be able to buy all these different houses over the course of uh, a year or a month. If you want to do a certain Mm -hmm. number of houses a month, when you don't have to buy the home, it creates tremendous opportunities from a scaling standpoint. Absolutely. Pushing more money back in those two people's hands, the investor and the homeowner, while at the same time removing the banks from the process. Because really, what is a bank doing if you don't have to buy the property? There's really, it's a non-value add. And the wholesaler, what we also did was we created a portal and we're going to be allowing people an opportunity to be able to come as investors into our website at investout.net and identify properties in their area, their geographical location, and submit proposals to do the renovation of those properties so that the homeowners can see, select the proposal that they like best, and then have them work together, the investor and the homeowners, to renovate that property so that the home can sell for more. That's so very that's cool. That, yeah, and that's, but that's the, uh, that's the first tier. The second tier, of course, realtors make more money when the home sells for more. Also, the workers, we want to work with them because we think that everyone should have an opportunity to be able to move past your current position in life. Just like I talked about with Maslow's hierarchy of needs and people in Central and South America, um, it would be great if we as an organization can actually fund their houses. Now that they know how to do the flips, we fund them and we get our money back through that investment. So that's helping that community. And the last community would be that third tier which is the community itself, you know, Mm -hmm. making sure that in fact we're creating properties that are sustainable. They're going to last for a while. They're energy efficient. They have durable product inputs as opposed to something that's going to fall apart within five years. And again, the community's in the same situation. So it's important to think in all three tiers. You have to think holistically. Absolutely. I I do think you need to think of that uh, long-term view where a lot of uh, people in the flipping community think short-term short-term gains and you know we talked about it off air you know that's definitely not the way i operate either and so i appreciate that you operate in a similar fashion yes sir yeah definitely you know it's you know again it comes from my core but it also comes from recognition of the fact that um i think doing good and doing service to others is good for us you know and so i, I what um, i think jim rowan motivational speaker spoke of as being being enlightened, but yet being self-interested. That enlightened self-interest part means that I can go in there and I can um, do the flip on that property and make money. That's my self-interest, but yet I can help that homeowner make more money. That's the enlightened part. That's the positive win-win that we try to create. Yeah, absolutely. So we've danced around it a little bit, but I want to dig into it a little bit. You've talked about your competitive advantage um, and you're turning that into a podcast that uh, should be launching soon. Can you tell us a little bit about that? 
Yeah, the so you know again looking back, um, we're all on this journey. We're all on this journey of man, starting out as Homo sapiens about upwards of two hundred thousand years ago. You know, to our present state. I mean, as a male, we have certain attributes, abilities, traits that we're aligned with because we were the hunters. Women were the gatherers. They are very good from the standpoint of memory, knowing things, recalling things, processing, putting the emotion into it. So those are our stored attributes as being male and female, but. Once we're born and we come out of the womb, and as we grow, we experience things. And all those experiences that we have help to form us in one way, shape, or form. For example, if you think about a person who, you have people who are now able to do what's called echo sounding when it comes to um, being blind and not being able to see, but yet riding bikes using clicks and certain uh, certain making certain sounds so they can hear the sound travel out and come back and recognize where they are and recognize what objects. That's our ability to be able to adapt. Their brains have been able to adapt in such a way that it created sight where there was no sight. So the human body is an amazingly adaptive um, material or product in itself. And what I believe is that while those people, the person who uses echo sounding has a competitive advantage now, um, I believe that, again, mine is to be able to active observance. Everywhere, I can't even help it. Everywhere I walk, I'm always looking around and seeing what's happening or what's going on and looking for things that are asymmetrical or not typical. But I also yeah. have that experimental curiosity where I'm always asking, why is that? You know, it was, um, I think I had traveled to Dominican Republic um, about two years ago, and I'm noticing here's Christopher Columbus's house or castle that was built when they went to Dominican Republic and all these windows are the same with the, the circle over the top. And there was one window over in a corner that had a triangle there. Hmm. And I'm trying to figure out why is that different? So first of all, I observed it. I noticed it where a lot of people wouldn't notice it. And then I'm wondering what is that for? And I worked through that in my brain over and over and over again to try to find out. I never researched it because it wasn't that big of a thing for me. But just the process of figuring out or trying to figure out why it's there is an exercise for the brain. And then what I do is something called corrective assemblance or connective assemblance. I take those different things together and I piece them together to create those products, to create the, the innovations or the thoughts. So that's, again, my competitive advantage. But there are people, again, Bill Gates, we talked about him that amazing competitive advantage to be able to store information. Or there was a gentleman by the name of what was his name? Um, Bennett Umala. You may remember him from Concussion, the movie with Will Smith, hmm. whereby this man would always go. He was a coroner, a doctor from Nigeria, and he'd always go and sit in front of his, his patient that he was about ready to cut open as a coroner. And he'd ask the question of, so tell me, what killed you and how did you live? He wanted to ask those questions so that when he started doing the dissection, and getting in, and he's looking at in the particular situation of the uh, concussion movie, he looks at the brain and he says, well, why does a 50-year-old man pull his own teeth out and then super glue them back in to his own mouth, self-mutilation, but yet his brain no looks normal? That's not normal. And a lot of people would have moved on, but he didn't. And he did dissections of the brain and he started looking at those dissections and he started learning about the history of this man and recognizing the fact that this man probably in the course of his life, Mike Webster, uh, offensive lineman for uh, Pittsburgh Steelers, this man probably had sustained over 70,000 hits to the helmet 
in his lifetime. And then he started to look at, well, what would that do to a, uh, for example, a woodpecker? A woodpecker is one of those animals that 12,000, I think it was 12,000 hits per in the area of like a day. There's such a long, uh, I mean, that's what his brain was designed to do. And so he was able to put things together and, and walk through a process to understand what happened to Mike Webster. And that's a process that he was very good at following. That's what he does across the board. Whenever he looks into something, he really wants to know in depth what happens. That's also a competitive advantage that he has because it's a curiosity that most doctors wouldn't necessarily have. Um, but I believe that if we can start to understand what our competitive advantages are as a person, then we can start to leverage those competitive advantages by benchmarking and using them in other areas. You know, for example, when I look at certain things and I'm able to see ideas, then when I start looking at other opportunities, I may be able to apply the same knowledge in, in leveraging, you know, and working for other opportunities as well. So it's, it's a difficult concept and I'm still working through how to piece all the different pieces together. But there's something there from the standpoint of abilities that we've more or less muscle memory. We've developed them into our brains, into our muscles, into our core being. And if we can understand what they are, then we can start to leverage them. Yeah, very cool. I, that's something that I'm really intrigued by. And I think I'm, I'm going to take a lot out of it uh, when it does launch. By the time this episode airs, we'll have you, you will have your first episode live. And so, um, I'll make sure to link it to in the description of this podcast of so course. people can find it. Um, but uh, one thing that I always ask my guests that I want to ask you as well, um, since it is the hustle of the day podcast, how do you personally define the word hustle? How do I personally define the word hustle? I think the hustle is the, um, is Hustle basically for me is courage, you know, continuing to move forward and forward with, um, without success, but yet with enthusiasm, you know, because the excesses, successes do come. And I think, uh, what was it? Barry White. You remember Barry White, Trent? I think yeah, Barry I do. was an overnight success of about 25 years in the making, you know, and sometimes the, um, you just have to stay with it. You have to stay with the hustle, whether you're making money off of it or not. You really have to do what your passion is telling you to do. You know, and for me, um, I'm not doing this for the money, you know, because the money is not coming. I'm doing this because it's what I was designed to do. You know, so that's another part of it as well. Recognize your design. Why are you here? And is a hustle is a, uh, a sideline job something that you really want just to make extra money? Then choose well. You know, but if it's something that really would help you to be more fulfilled in life, then it's even more important to choose well, you know, because that's how you get to where you want to be. Figure out where you want to be and then you can start walking down that path. Yeah, I, I appreciate that. I, two words stuck out to me on that is courage and enthusiasm. Uh, I mean, you think about, you know, people who go out and decide they're going to start their business as soon as they lose that enthusiasm, they revert back. You got to have the courage to keep going in face of not always having the enthusiasm, but picking something that you are enthusiastic about. So even when you are on those low days, you can keep going at. Yeah. I, I think you had mentioned, or at least I heard one of your podcasts with, um, with Thomas McMahon, McMahon 
Um, and he talked about, you know, having the, um, the Facebook live session and so forth where no one showed up or whatever. I've had this, you know, my first, my greatest fear in life was always having a birthday party and nobody came. That was the biggest thing. So obviously going on and launching all this and so forth is such a, a tremendous um, movement for me and putting myself out there and jeopardizing my, whatever I'm jeopardizing, I don't even know. <laughs> and I had my first meetup. And I think I had like, out of 250 people signed up, like three people came and here I am. And it was the first time and no one's coming to my party. And you know what? I felt so exhilarated after that because I didn't die. And it was the first time I'd ever really done it. And that gave me such a charge because I recognized that the world did not collapse around me since no one came to that party. You know, I moved on and I'm continuing to move on. Right. So it's the, the common phrase, but did you die? <laughs> exactly. You know, and I mean, working at Avon products, you know, whenever we would deal with issues, we'd always have to recall the fact that, well, we make lipstick. It's, it's really, it's not groundbreaking. It's lipstick. So don't worry about it. You know? Yeah. Absolutely. We all have our lipsticks that we're working with. For sure. Mm -hmm. I, I, I definitely get that. Well, um, I don't want to take too much of your time, but um, I've really enjoyed this conversation. One thing that I do want to ask you to uh, kind of end on is what what excites you about the future? What excites Ty about the future? You know, the, the future is um, new ideas. You know, I mean, new ideas are what excites me so much about the future. I want to see everything come to fruition. But, um, you know, what wakes me up in the morning is when I can think about, well, shit, what if I did that? And how big could that be? And how could I scale that? That's, that's really what keeps me, uh, gets me waking up each morning because I recognize the fact that in spite of job failures or whatever, as long as my brain is working, as long as I can ideate and put things together, I'm all right. You know, and I, I think about those people that don't have that. And uh, I wonder how that feels. Um, I wish I could be just the person that wanted to live in the, you know, the house with the, the picket fence and everything else and, and not want more, um, not saying anything bad about those people, but I, I want more and I'm going to continually move for it until there's no energy left in my body. You know, Les Brown would say, you know, you want to, you want to die used up. You don't want to die with energy left in you. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think we all go through that, uh, mindset at times where things are tough. It's like, man, I wish I could just be happy with the nine to five, but that's not the way we're wired. No, no. And I'm becoming okay with that now. You know, I'm becoming yeah. okay with that. Even if I wound up living somewhere with no money broken and I did it my way and I followed my path. So that really allowed me to release the fear associated with jumping, you know, and uh, I know the parachute will come. Yeah. And if you do follow the traditional path and you're not wired for that, you could be on your deathbed with money and with, you know, the white picket fence, like you said, but unfulfilled and thinking, oh, well, what if? Yeah, but Les Brown also mentioned that, being on your deathbed and being there and having all these ideas that had come throughout, throughout all your course of your life, coming and saying, hey, I came to you. And you did nothing with me. I came to you. That's one of my greatest fears as well. Mm -hmm. Going to my grave and not having manifested what I've been given. So Absolutely. that's probably more than most things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You think of it when you reframe, it's like, oh, why, 
why do I need to do this? Why do you know you think about you know yourself? But are you really serving those people that need you by holding those ideas in? Right, right. Use yourself up. Get out there and, and energize and stay focused and motivated and get into it. You know, I, I wake up at um, 3 30, 4 o'clock in the morning very often just to do my stuff before I go and work for the man. Yep. What is required. Yep, absolutely. Well, that's that's very cool. I like I like the way you phrase that, and I really have gotten a lot out of this conversation. But I want to make sure to uh, give you some time to, for you know where people can find you. Any shout outs that you want to give? Beautiful. Yeah, definitely. Um, we're available on uh, investout.net. That is our investing site from the standpoint of partnering homeowners with investors. And so we also have a, a class that we do. We teach people based on our, it's an online course, but we teach people the process from the standpoint of, of connecting with the homeowners, connecting with, with them, understanding the model, understanding the financials. Where do you get your money? How do you make your money? How do you determine how much that house, or I'm going to state that house is worth to me currently today, as well as the legal contracts and structures. We teach people from A to Z on how do you partner with a homeowner. And um, you know, it's time to get out there and help some people. Yeah, very cool. And I'll make sure to include a link to that uh, as well in this uh, podcast description. But I want to thank you, Ty, for your time and for this conversation. I really I have enjoyed it. And I really think we can relate on a lot of things. And definitely, definitely uh, my audience uh, will relate to a lot of this as well. Really appreciate it. And the pleasure was mine. Well, I, I, I disagree because the pleasure was all mine. But <laughs> kind. Well, thank you. Uh, And, you know, I know I got value out of this. So I know my audience got value out of this. But I I remind all of you that are listening to take something from this and get out there and hustle the day. Thanks for listening to the hustle the day podcast all the way through. I really appreciate that. I just want to let you know that I help small businesses with their online strategy. So if you or anyone that you know needs help with their online strategy and owns a small business, I'm your guy. Go ahead and connect with me at Trent V. Bray on Instagram or TrentVBray.com.